You're listening to Legal Skinny Podcast with Trisha Burita. I'm a 15-year licensed practicing attorney in the state of Texas. I created Legal Skinny because when I've been invited to do educational seminars on different subjects in employment law, employers and HR professionals would often ask me, where can they find out a little more information on this or a little more information on that? Look, I get it. There's a lot of resources out there, but sometimes it's confusing and people are so busy. Sometimes people have only 30 or 15 or maybe even five minutes in their day to devote to learning something new. On this podcast, you'll hear me have discussions and interviews on topics relevant to employers. Disclaimer though, Legal Skinny is for entertainment and informational purposes only, not meant to provide legal advice and doesn't create an attorney-client relationship. Also remember, laws change or they differ by jurisdiction. So this is not a substitute for seeking legal counsel in your jurisdiction on the current law applicable to you. Hello, friends. Welcome back to the Legal Skinny Podcast. I think at this point, everyone knows who Pfizer is. But just in case you don't, let me give you a quick summary. So Pfizer is a global company. Their global headquarters are in New York City. And of course, they were credited as being first on the market with the COVID-19 vaccine that they co-developed with German biotechnology company BioNTech. Um, This is uh, the big vaccine where the U.S. Food and Drug Administration authorized and under an emergency use authorization, uh, the approval of the vaccine after a 44,000 person clinical trial showed it was 95% effective at preventing uh, COVID-19. Their vaccine was, remember, also approved by the World Health Organization. So what's Pfizer all about? Their stated purpose uh, is breakthroughs um, that change patients' lives with a focus on driving the scientific and commercial innovation needed to have a transformational impact on human health. Now, uh, I dug a little further, uh, snooping around on their website, and if you read further about them, their overall published purpose Uh, is they strive to set the standard for quality, safety, and value in the discovery, development, and manufacture of healthcare products. They say that their global portfolio includes medicines and vaccines, as well as many of the world's best-known consumer healthcare products. Every day, uh, Pfizer says their colleagues, uh, the Pfizer colleagues, work across developed and emerging markets to advance wellness, prevention, treatments, and cures that challenge the most feared diseases of our time. Consistent with the Pfizer responsibility um, as one of the world's premier innovative biopharmaceutical companies, they collaborate with healthcare providers, governments, and local communities to support and expand access to reliable, affordable healthcare around the world. They also state that for more than 170 years, Pfizer has worked to make a difference for all who rely on them. Yep, that's right. It says 170 years. In fact, if you if you if you tootle around more on the Pfizer website, which I did, um, they actually have a whole like nifty timeline of their history, dating it back to 1849, when Charles Pfizer and Charles uh, Erhart founded Charles Pfizer and Company in a red brick building in Brooklyn, New York. And the timeline goes on to show their expansion to Chicago and New Jersey and includes some uh, old timey photos there. So uh, feel free to check that out. But to say the least, uh, this company's been around. And while the historical part of the company, it's, it's interesting to me, it also makes me curious about their company culture 
considering such a long-standing history and, of course, their global reach and impact. Over the last week, I, I was lucky enough to be able to catch Sherm, the Sherm president and CEO Johnny Taylor Jr.'s interview of the chairman and CEO of Pfizer, Dr. Albert Burla. Now, Dr. Burla himself, he's been with Pfizer for 25 years, and he became the CEO in January 2019. Uh, he's a uh, an accomplished corporate representative for Pfizer, including acting as a past uh, chief operating officer. And, you know, when looking at all of his credentials, there's quite a few, I definitely took note of what I found to be an interesting part of his tenure with Pfizer, considering this past year, where his role at one point was group president of Pfizer's global vaccines, oncology, and consumer healthcare business, where Pfizer states that Dr. Burla was instrumental in expanding Pfizer's leadership in vaccines. So the interesting discussion between the two of them and really CEO Johnny Taylor Jr.'s um, interview of him was discussing Pfizer's culture. I mean, there were some other discussions, but that's the part that I really wanted to focus on. And one of the things that Dr. Brola talks about is these sort of four main, you know, um, pieces of their culture that they strive to, you know, um, to meet in order, and, and he says, to actually play a critical role in Pfizer's success. And, and of those four, I, I think they're very interesting. And then he goes on and on to say where he thinks Pfizer culture is going and, and, and some other interesting tidbits that I'll talk about. But let's start with these four values to the Pfizer culture. The first one he named was called courage. Um, specifically, he's not just, you know, uh, <laughs> this isn't like Wizard of Oz courage um, with the lion. You know, he's talking about to be decisive and to think big. You know, the type of company that they are where innovation is important. And, you know, I think what what he's kind of also talking about is, you know, it's, and he doesn't really say this, but it's intimidating probably doing some of the work that they do. And you have to be confident in the fact that you you know, can think big, you can accomplish this, you know, when they were faced with trying to create the vaccine, a lot of people, he said, um, you know, said it would take several years at least, you know, um, and so that's, that's sort of a big um, hurdle to go at with, you know, even some of the most creative people that you may have on your team. And so this discussion of courage, I think was really interesting. He says that the, this mindset is what made us able to make the impossible possible. And the inspiration for that, I think, is also an interesting part to make a piece of company culture. The second value that he talked about was excellence and execution. He said, it's not about us, it's about them. The patient's hoping we will bring the solution. You know, we must execute perfection. Who would think that a very big company like Pfizer, that's considered to be bureaucratic, would start later in the vaccine race, but would finish first? And he said, that's because we have this excellence in the way that we execute our work. And I think that is also an interesting part about what he talked about, because of course, everybody wants excellence in execution with your employees, right? And that's like uh, a no brainer, but how are you accomplishing that in such a strategic way that puts you ahead of the competitors that really, you know, moves you ahead of the pack as far as like where you are in your industry and, and how do you, you know, motivate those employees to be excellent, right? 
Uh, and I, I think that all does come down as, as an interesting part of culture. And I think if you make excellence and execution as something that is um, expected, right? And everyone is trying to achieve that. Um, then I think that you could create that into your culture, but I, I don't think that's an easy one to achieve. Um, so uh, it was an interesting one, certainly, and I understand why it would be important to them in the development of the vaccine for sure. The third value that he talked about was equity. Everyone deserves to be heard, to be taken care of. And this value made, um, he said, our decision very easy when we priced the vaccine, you know, a product we knew everybody would love and would pay gold to get. Uh, we priced it at the cost of a meal. Um, and we did this in high income countries. And then in low income countries, we, we priced it at cost, he said. And this is because equity in our mind does not mean we give everything the same to everybody, but we give more to those who need more. Uh, and that the experience of COVID-19 changed the Pfizer culture of their company. Um, he said it enhanced it dramatically. And um, this demonstrated, you know, to people that uh, this culture and the way that they were working and, you know, it would bring hope and bring breakthroughs for these patients in their lives. And I think it was very real, or at least the way that he was explaining it to his employees that what the work that they were doing was very impactful. But I think in the equity piece was interesting because he, he sort of started to talk about how equity, you know, everybody deserves, deserves to be heard. And, he, and then he expanded on about how Pfizer looked at that with the vaccine. But I think if you go back to equity and how you bring that into the culture of your own, you know, company and employees, you know, having a voice or a way for people not just from the legal perspective, because I think there's always a need for people to be able to report concerns, especially, you know, things that um, would be like discrimination or um, harassment and, you know, hostile work environment. I think those all, all need to be sort of easily um, reported by any employee, but also just the every day to day, you know, is there a check on your management or how your management style, whether um, it's you or other managers that you're managing and how they talk to the employees. And if the employees do wanna be heard about the way that something's being done, is there a way for them to voice that in an effective and sort of you know safe environment? Now, I'm not attesting that the employees should be running the joint, right? Like somebody's gotta manage and that's an important part. But do you have some type of weekly meeting where there's an opportunity or a monthly meeting or whatever it may be, or for some companies, a daily meeting where there's a way for the employees to give feedback about how things are going? Because I think that that opportunity for other individuals to be heard, it is very impactful on a culture and you can see it and it, it'll come out um, very easily when you don't allow for that. Because what will happen is the employees will find a way to talk. They just won't do it in a way that you get to hear and on the management side. Um, and, and that, I think, is not productive to making a good culture. And the fourth piece that he talked about was joy. And he said, Pfizer, you know, at Pfizer, we define joy not only to have fun, but also taking pride and enjoying what you're doing. Because what you're doing brings good to humanity and changes other people's lives for the best. Specifically, he, he talks about to be able to do this whole project, you know, get to this vaccine in nine months, you know, when 
thousands of people working day and night. Um, this is not something that, you know, you can demand of people to do. This is something he said in, in their culture, they worked to inspire them. They worked to inspire all these workers, give them pride in the work that they were doing. And in, in that result, he said they were able to accomplish getting to this vaccine within nine months. Now, I think these are all four of them, like incredible pieces of a company's culture, any culture <laughs> that a company could get where if you could get half of that right, I think you're moving in the right direction. And maybe Pfizer doesn't get all this right all the time. You know, but I definitely think that, you know, what Dr. Berlow was saying is that, you know, they're setting the bar here and, and this is where, you know, they strive. And at least from his perspective, this is part of the reason they were able to create the vaccine in such a short time because they had already built the culture when the challenge came to them. And I thought that was very interesting because I think if the challenge comes and you don't have the culture there, then you are kind of already sort of um, working backwards, trying to figure out how to make it all work. So I thought that that could very well be uh, a huge piece of why the company was successful in being able to come to the vaccine in such a short period of time. Now let's talk about a few other parts that were in this in this interview that I thought you might find interesting, at least I found interesting. One of the first uh, ones that I want to talk about is employee motivation. So when responding about how they kept their employees motivated, right, all during COVID-19, all the hours that they had to work, um, how did they reward them? Dr. Perler said that the real motivational driver was the importance of the mission. And I think I could believe that. I mean, if you're if you're working on making the vaccine and the whole whole world, right, is under this pandemic, that seems important. I, I could see very easily why that would be a motivational driver. And he even said, even though, you know, you could promise them five times their bonus and it would not motivate them as much as the news of, you know, people dying and, the, and you know, all the other, you know, um, news stories out there, right? Um, he said there were people who didn't visit their family because they had to stay and work for months or they had people that were working and their spouse had COVID-19. Like, I think this is a good point about motivation, but I also think, you know, not every business is like Pfizer's where you're making the vaccine to save the world. But what I think you could take away from this is that I find that creative employers are flexible in exploring like different motivations for their employees. So maybe your business isn't saving lives like Pfizer's employees maybe felt. But what is your mission for your company? And is there a way to humanize it and connect the employees to it? Have you ever tried that? Are there things that motivate your employees outside of money or outside of punishment and discipline? What are those things? You know, there are two ways, I think, to really figure out what those might be for your employees. One, experimentation. You know, uh, with getting feedback somehow, of course, on the way. <laughs> you know, trying some things out, trying to motivate them by doing this or trying to motivate them by doing that, you know. Um, and two, <laughs> more obvious, is just asking the employees what's important to them, you know, to actually find out what may motivate them. I think if the, the whole way that you're trying to motivate your employees is like punitive, you know, you'll find that you're missing kind of this part where you can incentivize them. And I think if you're incentivizing them only by money, 
you're missing that there is this sort of other element out there that some employers have recognized and taken advantage of. And, you know, there are certainly different groups in, in, in your workforce that may be motivated by different things. And so, you know, exploring, though, and trying to figure out what those are, I think, are an important piece of culture because you would be surprised at how much people feel joy in things you didn't even realize and outside of money, right? Now, the next part that they talked about is something I feel like hasn't been talked about enough in the press because when um, you see a lot of news stories, you know, they're talking about, oh, everyone's teleworking. You know, if you have an issue with your employees, you just telework. I feel like even some of the government entities, when they were giving advice about how to handle COVID-19 employees, you know, they would just be like, well, you should just telework that employee. Well, the reality is <laughs> there's so many jobs out there where there is no telework option, okay? And I'm not saying like, oh, don't explore whether the employee can do some type of telework. But I mean, I'm talking about like just legitimate jobs that telework is not a possibility in order for the employee to perform the job that they were hired for, or even a portion of the job that they were hired for. So the whole idea that every company, you know, was able to just telework everyone is not a reality. So with these sort of non-telework employees, when Dr. Berla was asked about this, because he does have a lot of non-telework employees, um, he was asked about his manufacturing environment and other employees that can't, you know, work from home. He was very candid about that because that was a big concern over the last year. How do you keep them safe? How do you, you know, following all these protocols and and how do you keep them, I think, productive? Because the other issue is if if they do end up coming out with COVID and, you know, they give it to each other, you could lose a whole section of workforce. And we saw that last year where whole factories were shut down because of COVID-19 outbreaks. So that's certainly something that and you're trying to keep the safety of these employees and the productivity of the company going, you know, how do you manage and balance that, right? And what Dr. Berler said was that, you know, their employees in manufacturing and their people in their laboratories, which couldn't, couldn't work from home, took great pride in their work. And so um, they were also, he said, very motivated, of course, um, by trying to work and save lives. But um, he said that, you know, they gave them bonuses or, or such to try to incentivize them. Um, and, and that, he said, was somewhat motivating. But I think that what he really was saying, the big motivation was that the people were inspired by their mission, right, rather than these extra bonuses. So much that he said that he had less than 2% absenteeism in manufacturing, which was pretty incredible, especially during a pandemic. But the part I liked about this answer on this was also him pointing out that, you know, they worked really hard to try and communicate with these employees about the protocols and the safety in COVID-19 protocols that they had put in place because they knew they would have to come into work. And um, if you had those issues in your workplace where you had these employees that had to come into work, right? And you had those conversations with those employees about safety protocols. You know, it, it wasn't always the easiest thing to try to communicate to the employees or to enforce. Uh, I think it was frustrating for a lot of employers, a lot of HR professionals trying to figure out how to navigate these conversations with employees or management, right? Especially with the ever-changing guidance of the CDC or the local health departments. 
And you have to think in settings where safety or policies in the workplace are not a regular part of the discussion. And I mean, like a daily part or weekly or monthly, or even (laughs) maybe not even a yearly part, then it was very difficult and overwhelming to start these conversations with employees and get them on board with why this was important, right? I think, you know, continuing to have these conversations is something every company should consider keeping from this whole pandemic mess. Because there's a real value there that you just can't, you know, flip a switch on overnight. You know, these this idea that the conversations about policy in general with employees and having them understand it, um, I think it's an important conversation. And how do you incorporate that into a more regular schedule with employees so that if you ever have a circumstance where you need them to really pay attention because it is really important that they already know, right, that that's something that you're going to be looking and and something that you've had these conversations with and something you're being looking for um, them to follow and, and take seriously. Now, another part of the conversation that they had uh, was the, the hybrid model. So uh, the future question, M- many of you um, listening may think, well, I, I you know, I, I've heard about this hybrid model. Uh, I I, you know, it's some people working from home, right? Some people working in the office or whatever. How is that going to work? Is that really something people are going to do? So it was an interesting discussion because Pfizer, as I kind of mentioned, is a, not a tiny company. All right. So um, it's, it's a really big company, you know, engaging in what they do with manufacturing as well as the development of vaccines and laboratories and medicine and health Um products in laboratories, is it really realistic for them to even explore the hybrid model? And so I thought this was in particular an interesting conversation um, and and Dr. Berler's response on this. And when he was asked about it, um, specifically like, you know, if if employers or as an employer themselves, what, what approach would Pfizer be taking? You know, would they be bringing employees back into the physical site after having worked remotely during the lockdown? You know, are they doing a hybrid model or are they going to go all remote, right? Well, I think all remote was kind of obvious that he wasn't going to be able to say that because he's already said he had some people that obviously those employees had to come in for for the functioning of the business, right? But Dr. Perler said that they debated this a lot at the, you know, as to what the best option would be. And and he stated that they are going to maintain their offices, and their headquarters uh, and the building, you know, where people are gathering, because he said there's a sense of belonging that they feel is part of their culture. They don't want to, you know, do away with. And um, I think that um, what was interesting was the next part where he said, we don't, you know, we decided that people don't need to come in every day to get the benefits of an office. And those who need to work with specific equipment, right, like that exists only in the workplace, such as the scientists, lab work, workers, the manufacturer workers, they can come into the physical site. But the rest, you know, they could have more of a flexible arrangement where they come to the office two or three days a week. And he talked a lot about the conducting of meetings. You know, the, the reason that Zoom meetings or WebEx meetings were proven to be successful and so engaging was because everybody was on Zoom right? Everybody was on the screen. But before he said in COVID-19, you know, when they tried to do those remote meetings, you'd have like some remote workers remoting in and then some people all in a room together. And 
you know, the people that were remote maybe felt isolated. So exploring how to have successful meetings was another thing that they're going to be working on. But he said that the benefit of flexibility of allowing a mom and father, you know, to be able to organize work around errands or attending children's school, you know, without worrying about being in the office, that that's something that was a priority in their culture to keep. And that the hours of commuting for many, um, you know, this flexibility is going to allow for a happier and much more productive workforce. So uh, that that is, a, you know, going to be something that will become it sounds like a permanent part of the Pfizer culture. And then, you know, then he was asked, well, okay, now that you're going to consider doing this, this continuing with the remote work, how are you going to keep this strong culture that he just talked all about how they had built, right? And, and Dr. Burler said, I'm not that fearful, particularly in this sort of hybrid model. Uh, you know, uh, he said, you know, that he believes there's a reluctancy and skepticism around the new model because it's new but that all the progress and technology um, that have allowed us to do all these things differently um, has led them also to not be afraid to try new things. And I thought that was pretty uh, interesting and, and certainly, you know, not what you would possibly have expected if you had asked those same questions to him maybe two years ago. And he said, he might've said, you know, that, that having such a remote workforce that that might change the culture. I think, you know, that is something that is always going to be on the back of your mind when you're wondering what the next steps are for your company, right? And whether or not, you know, if you think going the hybrid route would be successful and will that affect the culture? You know, it it worked maybe during COVID, but will it work outside? And what is what is the reality of what that looks like, right? And what do the employees expect now? I think a lot of companies are, are thinking that all through, and, and certainly it's something not to take lightly, but it's, it's also something not to ignore because a lot of companies are thinking it might be somewhere where they want to go. The next piece was certainly my favorite part of the interview, and that was because, you know, um, it was really this little piece at the end, kind of like a CEO to CEO discussion where, you know, Mr. Taylor um, who's doing the interviewing of Dr. Burla, um, you know, kind of asked him, hey, I've been you know, basically chatting with some CEOs and then I uh, I wanted to ask you your thoughts on this, you know, kind of discussion. Like you're sort of like a fly on the wall listening to them. And I, I in particular liked this part of their discussion. And let me just first explain Mr. Taylor, okay, uh, you know, he he is an accomplished CEO Sherm. So uh, he has uh, multiple honors himself over just the past two years, um, especially including in in March 2021, where he was most recently named the Professional Society CEO of the Year by CEO Update. Uh, you know, recognizing his work toward fostering workplace innovation, creating more equitable workplaces, and elevating the HR profession. So he's an accomplished individual already in himself. And so it is interesting from the CEO perspective, him, you know, interviewing another CEO. And at the very end of this interview, like I was talking about, he had this opportunity where he said, look, Dr. Berla, I, I have heard a number of CEOs say this pandemic has highlighted the importance and criticality of the HR function and HR professionals. Is that true? And tell me about the value of HR at Pfizer. And Dr. Berla states almost immediately, I did not need 
the COVID-19 situation to appreciate the importance of the HR profession. He said, it's one of the most critical functions within a corporation, and I always believe that. It is one of the functions I'm getting personally involved with more than anything else. And he said, sometimes I'm getting more involved in discussions with my HR heads than my research heads. And he said, for Pfizer, HR was always important, but with the flexible work that they're going to be, you know, that I just explained they're going to be going into and this new world of opportunity and challenges um, that that will open in front of them, HR needs to find and develop employees with new skills and find and develop new processes to optimize what's expected from these, you know, now flexible schedules. And he also said, um, the importance of making sure that the human capital of a corporation is seriously engaged, inspired, is productive, feels safe, and feels joy, right? That's many of the, the four cornerstones that I already talked about in his values at the beginning of this podcast. I enjoyed this response because, you know, recognizing that that human capital of a corporation is important and figuring out as a leader through all the issues related to HR and employment law to navigate you know, these tricky waters to continue to engage them, to inspire them, to create a productive and successful workforce is something that is, I think, critical to the success of a company, especially a company like Pfizer. And I think Dr. Burla's thoughts about the changing workforce, including, you know, the reexamination of what the workplace looks like as far as the environment is right on. You know, there's several factors to consider here, you know, uh, and this goes beyond COVID-19, but more where I guess it's COVID-19 has propelled us to be. You know, in some instances, I guess we were sort of like <laughs> propelled or, or <laughs> forced into being, um, you know, these sort of telework or, or alternative work situations. You know, back in episode one of the Legal Skinny podcast, I, I got to interview my good friend Jane Lynn uh, in the podcast, Is Telework the New Normal? And Jean talked about this. She said companies had already started to test out different work environments and that she thought we would have eventually gotten there over the next decade or so. But that COVID-19 sort of forced everyone to kind of look and consider how to remain productive under such circumstances and what does that look like? And it's not just from the legal perspective, you know, where you've shown that now these type of accommodations of different work are possible for various types of employees. It's that employees have different expectations now, possibly different options that did not exist before. People like a flexible work environment and talent will seek those options, right? So if you're the employer saying you need to come in or commute, to get to work every day and you have to be there five days a week or whatever the schedule is, and you have the same job, same pay being offered with flexible options, wouldn't the employee or the talent tend to want to go towards the flexible option? And perhaps the days of the long daily commutes, at least every day, may be gone. And further, you know, um, you know, it's interesting because, you know, is corporate real estate really is needed as much. You know, if you're looking at, you know, possibly having employees that come in and maybe they come into an environment or a community culture versus having their own desk. I know that sounds crazy, but that's where a lot of companies have looked at this sort of like we work type situation where, you know, 
you go and find the colleagues that you work for and your sort of area and have that experience versus the sort of individualized desks and the huge amounts of um, corporate real estate. And how do you stay competitive if your, you know, competitor is giving up, you know, some of this overhead of those types of things? And then there's also the track record, right? Were you able to find any productivity if you changed the work environment over this past year? whether that was telework or split shifts or whatever. And if you were, then ask yourself, what is really stopping you or your company leaders from following where Dr. Berla's company Pfizer is going with all of this? Have you and the leaders of your company allowed yourself to consider these possibilities and these changes into your culture? I think I've heard a lot of people say to me over the past year, I can't wait till we get back to normal. I, you know, um, when are we going to get back to normal? You know, I'll see you soon, hopefully when it's back to normal. And this could be friends that miss seeing us, you know, family maybe that uh, I haven't seen, I haven't been able to travel to see, you know, clients, um, colleagues, um, whomever. But, you know, what is normal? What is normal going to be? You know, the, the definition is conforming to a standard, usual, typical, or expected. This whole last year has been so disruptful to so many different parts of our lives. I think in history, there are these moments where you can't put the genie back in the lamp. I can tell you that before 2020, I had never had any interest in getting on a Zoom call with my friends or family. Now it doesn't seem so crazy when they ask to connect that way. Now, I could be wrong. I could admit that I'm not always right. And I certainly do not have a crystal ball. Maybe everyone will go back to work just as it was. Or maybe, just maybe, there's been a shift in the way people do business and the way people grow and energize their teams to be successful. Maybe there's a thought on whether or not your culture needs to change. I'll leave you with that. And that's the legal skinny on the changing Pfizer culture. Thanks for joining us on this episode of the Legal Skinny Podcast. Do not forget to subscribe to get future podcast episodes. Also check out LegalSkinny.com to join our newsletter and get details on all the educational resources we offer the employer. Also, disclaimer, remember Legal Skinny is for entertainment and informational purposes only, not meant to provide legal advice and does not create an attorney-client relationship. Laws change or they differ by jurisdiction. So also remember, this is not a substitute for seeking legal counsel in your jurisdiction on the current law applicable to you.